Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station. Hello there, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Going Ringside with The Local Station. I'm Scott Johnson. So glad you could be with us. As always, I ask you to help spread the word about the show. Tell family, friends, any uh, online groups you might be involved in who follow pro wrestling, tell them we're out here. We're trying to get the word. I'm starting to get some social media presence for the show going um, on Instagram, at least right now. You can search uh, Scott Johnson going ringside. We're putting all our interviews there. It's a good start for us as we continue to grow the show. We can't do it without you. Keep telling people. We're out here who like wrestling to maybe give us a check, uh, see what we're doing out here. And today, very excited about the guest we have joining us today. Um, a guest that if you follow wrestling anytime in the last 30 years or so, you know this guy. He has been on the wrestling scene since the 1980s, wrestling in five separate decades and still going strong today. We are talking about the last outlaw, Jeff Jarrett, or maybe you knew him a little better years and years ago as Double J back in the day. So Jeff Jarrett will be joining us to talk uh, about wrestling and he is one of the most um, interesting figures in all of pro wrestling because he can talk about it all. He can talk about the old territories, he can talk about WWF, WWE, he can talk about taking on Vince McMahon as a booker. And now most recently, Jeff Jarrett just kind of came out of nowhere and showed up at All Elite Wrestling, Jacksonville-based company, in the beginning part of this year, taking off a mask as the last outlaw, Jeff Jarrett, and essentially declaring war on a lot of the AEW roster. So he has been feuding with guys um, like Darby Allen. He's got Jay Lethal, Southam Singh, Cole Carter, and Sanjay Dutt are kind of in his stable right now, as he is now an active wrestler to this day, still looking great out there, and wrestling to this day. He has a big role in AEW. Um, he, uh, Tony Khan, it looks like, has really asked him to start expanding their house show loop because they are really back to traveling again. So Jeff Jarrett has an integral role at AEW now. But I want to talk a little before we get to the interview and talk to Jeff is a little about his history, why he's such a fascinating figure in the history of pro wrestling. So he's a multi-generational talent. By that, I mean he's a third-generation wrestler. Um, you have guys like The Rock, Randy Orton, uh, Dusty Rhodes' sons, uh, Dustin and Cody, and people like that who are, are second- or third-generation talents who grew up in this. So all they've ever known is the pro wrestling world, and Jeff is like that. So his dad, Jerry Jarrett, was a booker in the Tennessee area, and he kind of came up in the late 80s, started wrestling for his dad, but really became to national prominence in around 93 when he joined the WWF. As you may well remember if you were watching then as Double J, J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. That was him, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. He portrayed the character of a country music superstar, a country music star better than anyone you've ever seen, and he was gracing the WWF with his presence because he was billed as such a great musician. He's kind of similar in gimmick to Honky Tonk Man. I don't want to say Jeff Jarrett and Honky Tonk Man are too similar. They're definitely different performers, definitely unique performers in their own right. 
But when he came on the scene, he had a similar gimmick. Honky was uh, a, kind of an Elvis impersonator, always claimed to be a great singer. And he was an intercontinental champion, and he was great on the mic. Jeff Jarrett was similar in that regard, claiming to be this country and western singer, I think is what you called it back then. And he came in and always talked about how great of a performer he was, a great entertainer, and a great wrestler. So he comes in with his long blonde hair, doing his Jackie Fargo strut, which is similar to the strut Ric Flair does. I still do it to annoy my kids to this day. I impersonate more Jarrett than Flair. Um, with that strut in the ring, and he, had, and he just really portrayed this heel singer wrestler all at once. And he came in and he wrestled, had some titles for a few years. And then he had what it was a very memorable gimmick, a very memorable wrestling angle, when he was really a good heel because he kept telling you every week how great of a singer and entertainer he was. But he never sang. So fans were there booing him like, put up or shut up, are you going to sing or what? So finally, they release a music video, which if you go on YouTube, I think you can find it. You can even play, I found out, on Alexa uh, with my baby tonight uh, is the music video they put out there. It was like this, they put a lot of effort into making this country music video that Jeff Jarrett was performing. And it was kind of good. I still play it to uh, bother my children at times in the house because I remember the song very well. And then after the music video comes out, they get into the real angle of it that the fans find out Jeff Jarrett lip-synced the whole thing. And he was with uh, Rhodey, Road Dog at the time. Um, he was his roadie. He was uh, this character always helping Jeff out. He was really behind the scenes singing the song. And this was a few years after the Millie Vanilli lip-syncing scandal came out, so it was just a great way for Jeff to get heel heat, and people did not like him. He was a good wrestling heel. But from a business perspective, Jeff became interesting after this. So at this point, he, he's just a good heel. He's a good, strong mid-carder in WWF. But then he jumped ship. And he's kind of been typecast as Jeff Jarrett. He kept his real name, so he didn't have to change his name when he went from company to company like a lot of wrestlers do. He goes over to WCW. And he goes over to WCW, still does Jeff Jarrett, still has the guitar that he's breaking over people's heads. And he eventually gets in a feud with uh, Mongo McMichael. He brings in Deborah to kind of escort him to the ring. He has some run-ins with uh, some overlap with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. And he has a good run in WCW. And then right as WCW's getting hot, this is what's interesting. Jeff um, switches to WWF. He goes back to WWF. Right as WCW's got the NWO and they're starting to win the Monday Night Wars, he goes to the second place company, which was interesting and kind of shows you maybe what kind of a businessman he was. He, um, you know, he goes to the, he's in the WCW, which is the hot company, the hot promotion at this point. And then he goes to the second place company, probably because I'm just guessing he knew he could be booked better. He knew that if you're in the second place company, they're starving for uh, big talent to come in. And he goes back to WCW. And he tries to reinvent the Double J character, the country singer. He's got these big Double J light-up glasses, doing the strut and all that. And then he did a gimmick that I kind of liked that didn't last very long. He started a stable. Jim Cornette's there at the time. They had brought in a heel Rock and Roll Express. I think Barry Windham got involved, and they kind of did a mini invasion of their own with the, the old NWA, the Southern Wrestling Company, coming to invade the WWF. I thought it was a great angle. 
Um, there were a lot of factions in WWF at this point with the DOA, the Los Periquas, the Nation of Domination. Then you've got this NWA insurgent group and coming in trying to take over the WWF, kind of like the WC or NWO did on the other channel. Didn't last very long. I kind of liked it. I thought it was a cool angle, um, a cool faction. Didn't last that long. But then as things are turning and WWF is now taking the leadership role in the Monday Night Wars and WCW's on the downturn. Austin has become popular. Rock has become popular. Jeff leaves again following a feud with China in 99 and goes back to WCW. He would just go back and forth. At this point, he's cut all his long hair off. He's got short blonde hair. He's a little more in your face, a little more adult-oriented to go with the way wrestling was going at this time. And he goes to WCW, which was struggling. And so he's made pretty quickly the champion. He's made the main heel in the company. Still doing the guitar shots on everyone, which we'll talk to him about in the interview. And he's with WCW until they fold in 2001. And this is when Jeff does something that makes him singularly unique in this industry. So WCW has died. Vince bought him up. And all you have left in this United States wrestling landscape is the WWE. Everyone else is gone. And Jeff and his dad, Jerry Jarrett, decide to try and start their own wrestling company to compete with WWE. Total non-stop action, TNA, which still in some form exists today as Impact Wrestling. He's there for around a decade. Um, they got a lot of homegrown talent, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. Eventually, they bring in a lot of the older guys like Kevin Nash, Booker T, Kurt Angle. And they, they get this, uh, I think, six-sided ring uh, felt more like an octagon almost. And they get a national TV contract, and they do a pretty good job. I was a new dad at this point, not really watching wrestling much, but I would monitor them on YouTube or wherever. And TNA did pretty well, and they were pretty strong. No one ever really did that. No wrestler ever went head-to-head -head with Vince McMahon. WCW did, but that was a corporation with Derek Bischoff and Ted Turner do that. Jeff Jarrett tried to take on the gargantuan WWE and had some success. So his story is interesting. Now he's with another company trying to take on WWE when I honestly thought he was done actively wrestling. He tells me he felt he was in good enough shape and he thought he could wrestle some more. So earlier this year, Jeff Jarrett, who's been really on the podcast loop lately, hosting his podcast with Conrad Thompson, My World with Jeff Jarrett, shows up out of nowhere on AEW. So that's where Jeff is right now. So let's get to it right now. My conversation with the last outlaw, you used to know him as Double J, here's Jeff Jarrett. Well, we are excited to be joined right now by Jeff Jarrett, currently signed with All Elite Wrestling. Uh, Double J, do you still go by that, Jeff? Thanks so much for joining oh, us. I appreciate you having me on, my friend. I go by just about a little bit of everything these days, but uh, no, uh, Double J's kind of uh, stuck with me through the years, but uh, all good. The Last Outlaw is uh, kind of a fitting uh, persona, if you will, uh, in 2023, but uh, uh, I, uh, I answer to just about anything, so says my wife, Karen. You're one of the few guys I think who could say has wrestled in five uh, five decades. Don't hold the generations. Now you really date me, pal. You yeah, get, you're definitely begging for a guitar shot early. I know. <laughs> I'm hoping for one. Um, so tell me about how you came to AEW. So you know you you're you have a historic lineage in wrestling. 
and we th we knew you were in the podcast world, so to speak. And now you showed up. I think it was in a mask at an AEW match, and just kind of shocked everyone. How did the AEW deal come together? Well, and you kind of touched on it on the prior question. Uh, five generations. Uh, now I said generations. Five decades, if you will. Yep. Started in April of '86, so my uh, anniversary is coming up here in a couple of weeks, which is still unbelievable to me. But I feel very blessed, very grateful that I am still, you know, uh, getting to. Uh, I guess be a part of my first love and that's the in-ring product, but, uh, being a third generation promoter, I've uh, done a little bit of everything in the industry and, uh, you know, I have more of a, of a passion and love for it today than I ever have. Uh, but the AEW situation, um, matter of fact, I, I did some media earlier today and, um, just how the cards really fell into place at the end of 2022, my 2022 was, uh, nothing that I ever really dreamed of. And the end of 21, uh, I've always stayed in moderately good shape, but at the end of 21, uh, you know, we were all still kind of coming out of the pandemic and during the pandemic, I stayed in shape, but you couldn't get in the gym quite as much and everything that went with it. But I just kind of made my decision that I'm going to get in the best possible shape that I can. And then, uh, it kicked off with an independent promotion, uh, up in New York city and Hammerstein ballroom. And I worked for the NWA. I worked, uh, with the uh, WWE, uh, both the executive job and uh, did a little in-ring stuff, uh, part of Ric Flair's last match. And then all of a sudden, uh, my friend, I just became a free agent on the market. And uh, I have watched AEW literally since day one. Mm -hmm. Know so many people, not just in front of the camera, but behind the scenes as well in so many different ways. And again, I'm, you know, I'm a lifer, one of those guys that have been around all different kinds of promotions. And it was, uh, I watched as a fan. I still am a fan in so many ways, but when I watched what they were doing, I was super excited. Uh, and then, you know, I looked on camera and saw Jay lethal, who was my partner in Ric Flair's last match. Sanjay Dutt is a guy that I've worked with. He's worked for me. I've worked with him 20 something years. And then I've got a, uh, a real passion for the country of India, uh, it is really one of the last frontiers of the professional wrestling industry and Satnam Singh, a former, uh, NBA draft, uh, super athletic young guy, bilingual, a lot of upside. So just, I think they call him one in a billion. Well, he truly is one in a billion. His Netflix documentary goes by that, but I think that's almost a double entendre. The country obviously is uh, over a billion people in population, but his unique ability is truly a, a, you know, if we're giving odds here, a one in a billion opportunity because he's highly athletic, got a real passion. Like I said, bilingual, uh, his heart is great. He's got a great brain, uh, and he's got something that a lot of folks just don't have. And that's a passion for this industry. And so this, the opportunity, not only behind the scenes, but in, in front of the camera. So, uh, the last outlaw jumped on, uh, the opportunity when I could. I saw one of your angles made the James Corden show in the last couple months has been somewhat <laughs> viral and your guitar shot was talked about on late night television. It did. You know, that whole scenario, um, I've, uh, I wrestled in the forum in the nineties. I am a, uh, you're a sports guy. So, so you can uh, relate to this. Uh, you know, I was a huge Celtics Lakers, mm -hmm. 1980s NBA playoffs and I'm a bulls guy, but I love, love basketball, but, um, and I was used to wrestle in the forum years ago, but to be a part of AEW show at the forum and got to crack a Hollywood star, uh, a true C list actor in uh, Paul Walterhausen. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, yes, it made the rounds. He's still 
trying to get famous off the last outlaw but that's how it goes <laughs> well i gotta ask about the guitars because it's the first thing everyone thinks about <laughs> when they think of you where do you let's start where do you get them are they gimmicked or do you buy them or how does that work the guitar store no i'm kidding um you know <laughs> that's something that through the years it's it's evolved in a lot of different ways i mean i could tell you some we don't have enough time and i don't want to waste your time but some funny stories of uh, getting into certain markets and looking for different guitars and go to pawn shops and whatever you can uh but then you know uh hollywood makes them uh i'm not a big fan of those uh but right now over the last it's probably been the last 15 years i've had uh my right hand man uh make uh 95 of them and he knows what he's doing and um uh we he cranks them out and i crack them up as we say i always wondered honky tonk man was doing that in the early 90s not nearly as much as you was there a conversation with honky or did you just kind of start doing it on your own What's funny is Jerry Lawler was my dad's business partner for 20 years. Jerry Lawler and Honky Tonk Man, Wayne Ferris, are first cousins. But Wayne was off doing the Honky Tonk Man, so really no conversations. Wayne wasn't the first. You know, I'm certainly not going to be the last by any stretch of the imagination. But no, uh, I just know that uh, uh, Honky Tonk can swing a nice, mean guitar. So uh, I've always tipped my cat to him on, on the guitar swinging. And have you ever had a bad story where the guitar shot doesn't go right? Oh boy, I've got many. Um, yeah, I, I, I literally, I, I, I've got quite a few, and it happens. We, you know, it's it's no secret. This isn't ballet. Uh, I can say this: there was a time in uh, about 2010, 2011, uh, of all folks, Kurt Angle. Uh, not one week, but two weeks in a row, I busted him open, and he came back with blood, and mm. it was what it was. But yeah, it, it definitely happens. Um, you know, I, I, I tell folks often when they look at it. Uh, back in slow motion, we just did a little piece for a Skybound Games. We've got a video game coming out in May called WrestleQuest, and we were doing some promotional stuff. But I, I cracked a guy who is uh, in the gaming industry, and he's like, man, that hurt. And I said, yes, and it's all about bat speed. If I uh, swing it slow, it hurts even further, uh, uh, harder. But, uh, no, it's uh, it's something that's just really stuck with me through these years. Well, you've uh, set, you're a multi-generational talent. Your, your dad was a booker, and you – have spent all this time you've been everywhere i don't know that anyone's been as many promotions as you so often with uh wwe wcw tna now aew what has that been like you have a unique perspective you know coming into aew knowing what it's like to be in a major territory in both wcw and uh, tna that's not the wwe you know the, the thing that i when i look, look back on my career you know in the mid to late 80s when the territories were going away and, and Vince McMahon of the WWF and Ted Turner and WCW were emerging and they were really the big one and two. Prior to that, there were 22 regional promotions broken up all over North America. So guys work for a lot of promotions. And then as society has developed, you know, it's truly a global business. So as a young kid, I got to go to Puerto Rico and Russell. I got to go to Japan. I got to go to uh, Texas and WCCW. So I got to experience a lot of different things. And I, I chalked that up. What a great learning experience that, you know, if you give it to the, the college uh, uh, analogy, you know, I got to uh, <laughs> either intern or whatever it may be, but soak in a lot. And there's a lot to be learned by listening to different crowds, whether it's 
I can tell you this, Memphis, Tennessee, and Louisville, Kentucky, or Memphis and Nashville that I wrestled all so many times, they have a different audience. Same as Madison Square Garden has a different audience than the the forum. And you've got to learn to, like a musician in a lot of ways, you got to be able to listen to your audience. I wondered about that. So you were playing for much of your career, and it kind of morphed as years went on as a Southern country heel. But you're doing so many events in like a Madison Square Garden, and then in another night you're in Nashville. Did you get a different response from the crowd depending on where you were based on your gimmick? And sometimes, for the most, I've been an antagonist, heel, bad guy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, but you'd be surprised. There's folks in in Boston, in in and in, 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 I'll say in the Northeast that don't get your ordinary average hibbly like myself and the twang and the accent. Down south, they see it all day, every day, and they hated me. But up north. You would get that response every now and then that people, yes, they hated me, but love to hate me. One of those deals. But, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I say kind of listening to your audience, you kind of got to know the pacing of your matches and kind of the story you're telling, not so much the yelling or, you know, the yang or booing or whatever it may be, but it's kind of the pace and the rhythm of things. I was wondering about the dynamic of your locker room. You would kind of, AEW kind of has two generations. You have you, Billy Gunn, I think Mark Henry and Paul Weider in there and others. And then you have the younger generation with guys like MJF and a lot of the guys who are in Jericho's stable. Is there is there a, a, a separation in the locker room based on generation because the guys who have been in two or three years versus the guys who have been in 30 years? What's that like? No, and you know what? Um, AEW obviously was up and running and 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 being doing gangbusters long before I came around. And I'm you know, since my arrival, I tip my cat to two guys really kind of setting the tone of the veterans, and that's Chris Jericho and Sting. Both really, really cornerstones, not just in AEW, but throughout their career. WCW, in a lot of ways, the face of WCW for yeah. years and years and years. Chris Jericho is a guy that obviously his WWE career is 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 massive, but also he went to Japan. Uh, and, and, at, you know, in 18, 19 and was super successful prior to that, Chris has worked in Mexico. He, he has without question had an incredibly, obviously successful, but super seasoned career. So when you look at those guys and understand that when they, you know, w when they step out, uh, you know, through the curtain and the red lights on, they know what they're doing, but they also know how to make everybody around them better. And to me, that's the real, real hallmark of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a successful veteran that not only you know how to take care of yourself, but make others better. Just like a great basketball player. I go back to my basketball analogy yeah. today. Larry Bird, you talk about Larry Bird. Oh, he's a shooter. He's a passer. He's this. Take him off that Celtics team in the 80, and I think they're win because they, he was hurt that year. He, their win, their win-loss record went way, way down. It's because he makes everybody better. I you still use that analogy in professional wrestling. And I see you there with your microphone and your headphones set up for podcasts. I mean, My World with Jeff Jarrett, you've been doing that for a while now. How's that been going? Uh, we did number 98 today. Thank you wow. for asking. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how all that came together. I can tell you this. I was, and my podcast partner, Conrad Thompson, he asked me to do it for a couple of years. I told him no over and over and over. I Look, tell stories is kind of what I've done my entire career, riding up and down the road in planes and buses and car rides. Yeah. And he he did. He talked me into it, and I'm so glad that he did because what a way to not just connect with the audience, but there is something sometimes therapeutic about it. 
but it is a obviously a form of entertainment. It's infotainment in a lot of ways, but it's also storytelling. And there is a massive, massive audience out there, which uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, the, the dollars and cents and the nuts and bolts of it are. Uh, I'm glad it is because it, uh, it, it's a it's a booming thrivecasting business. And look, you're in media, but me and you are sitting here today doing a podcast. Sure. On video, on video, which is great. Yeah, it is a it is a new venture for me as well. I've done news for 25 years. Now they say, go talk about wrestling long form. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you, the wrestling industry is about to have a major shift. It's possible it will be a wrestling industry for the first time in 40 years without the McMahons if a sale goes through. You've been a promoter. You've been a performer everywhere. What's that like? That's a major shift. Hard to put into words. And you're talking to a guy that my grandmother uh, was a single mom of two walking uh, in downtown Nashville looking for a second job. And there was a shoe store she went by and out front, there were two signs, uh, help wanted and wrestling tickets were sale. And she walked in and the gentleman said, hey, can I help you? And she said, I saw your, your sign out front. And he said, which one? And she said, both. And she ended up getting hired selling wrestling tickets. In those days, uh, Vince's, Vince, Vince's grandfather was promoting. So when you kind yes, of look, at, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look kind of at the lineage of the McMahon family, it's unbelievable. It truly is. Uh, I think only time will tell, but my gut tells me uh, there's going to be a McMahon in this industry uh, it, it, as as long as I'm breathing would be my. And prediction. speaking of that, you you went back and forth so much. So I think you were WWF '93, then you go over to WCW. You're back in WWE, and then. Around late 2000, you go back to WCW. Was that difficult? Was there tension there for you to go back and forth when you were at the height of the the height of the Monday Night Wars? No, there, there wasn't. And that was, you know, in a lot of ways, I can't say that I timed everything perfectly or imperfectly. It just happened. When I went up in 93, I signed a three-year deal. Uh, things rocked and roll. And then I made some bad decisions. I think they made some bad decisions. And then Nitro was cranked up. So went in. Uh, you know, I look at it as I got lucky. I signed a one-year deal. I thought it'd be best to do one year. Uh, obviously, if I go in, get over, I, I'll get a good raise. If it doesn't work out, I can. I, I wanted to see what my offers were. It worked out. I got to go back uh, and another two-year run. Things were rocking and rolling, and you never know what life's going to treat you. And I got the opportunity to go back to make even more money. So things worked out. But uh, you know, like I said, I've been in this industry a long time, and you know, I was born and raised that you it's what you did you work for multiple promoters this was a little bit different during the attitude era but i was very very used to working for multiple promoters and before we go because i know i want to get you running but i wanted to ask so you after this all happens tna starts how would you compare the start of tna to the start of AEW? has it been similar is it totally different things you know i'll just right out of the gate. I was on the outside looking in. So I prefaced that saying, I have no idea uh, other than stories and a few things here and there that I was kind of around firsthand knowledge, but it goes without saying the con family, enormous capital. Those are the two biggest differences in a lot of ways, but bigger than that is the, um, I don't want to say just television because it's really the, the media climate, you know, in 2002, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it, it wasn't even in the stratosphere. The streaming world wasn't in the world. Uh, it just, it was a completely different landscape on 
distribution. And we were coming off in 2001, 2002, the attitude era, both the good and the bad, the bad being advertisers didn't want to touch professional wrestling in 2001, 2002. So it was really, really a different landscape. There are some similarities because you have to start and you have to launch and you have to cultivate talent. And at the end of the day, you have to start building your own stars. Hats off to the entire, you know, obviously Tony starts at the top and all the way down. You know, MJF, Orange Cassidy, the acclaimed, I could go all the way down of homegrown stars. That's what it's about. That's what carries you, not just to the next generation, but to the next level, your own homegrown stars. Well, Jeff Jarrett with All Elite Wrestling and the host of My World with Jeff Jarrett. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. It has been a pleasure today to speak with you. I appreciate it, my friend. I won't be a, a stranger. If you'll have me back, we'll, we'll maybe get even more long form. But uh, I'll just say this. The Last Outlaw, you know, works on Wednesday nights and Friday nights, Rampage and Dynamite and pay-per-views. Also wear a, a day job. So I got to get back to work, pal. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Thank you, Jeff, very much. So that was our interview with Jeff Jarrett. Great guy, and he said he'd like to come back on. We hope to have him come back on. We'd love to talk more about Jeff. He's just got such an interesting history, decades of history to build on in this industry, and we will, we will definitely talk to Jeff more down the road. Um, interesting to hear his comments on the cons, that they have so much capital to work with. That's a lot what wrestling's about that's um, underappreciated is the money to put forward to make a national promotion thrive. Um, so he talked about that. And interestingly enough, he thinks there will always be a McMahon in wrestling in some fashion. So I liked hearing his take because we've been speculating on the podcast what happens with WWE if they're sold. He doesn't think the McMahons will ever be out of wrestling. Um, he talked a little about his uh, overlap with Honky Tonk Man with them both doing the guitar shots. So just um, some... Fun stuff to hear from Jeff Jarrett, a great lineage, a great history in this industry that has spanned five separate decades, which I probably shouldn't have started off the interview with talking about, but, you know, it happens. So that was Jeff Jarrett uh, still with AEW and really expanding their house show loop is what it sounds like Tony Khan wants him to do behind the scenes. Um, something else I want to talk about, if you see this before Sunday, is you know, WrestleMania is coming up. So I've been putting our heads together with some of our uh, wrestling fan producers in the newsroom to go over the card that it seems to be set in stone. It's some picks for this year's WrestleMania, and we're going to go over them right now. Uh, first up, John Cena versus Austin Theory. Well, we don't necessarily see Cena coming back for any sort of period of time. So we're thinking we are going to pass the torch to Austin Theory. Austin Theory comes out on top. Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul. Well, Logan Paul is maybe surprising a lot of people as being a really good heel. Um, he, I, I think some people kind of viewed him as a joke when he came into wrestling. Well, he's really um, withstood that, and he's really getting over as a good heel. We think he goes over over Seth Rollins. So you got a men's four-way fatal four uh, tag team match. Um, so we're thinking the Viking Raiders will probably win that one. Six women tag match. So they brought back the legends in Tristratus and Lita. Um, and they're teaming up with Becky Lynch over damage control. So kind of think of it like the Cena match is how we're looking at. The younger generation needs to go over. Maybe Alita and Trish heel turn. They both have played heel at times, so we'll see how that goes. But we're going with the uh, the damage control on that one. Uh, 
Triple threat match for the IC title, Gunter versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. So Drew probably deserves uh, better for putting the company on his back during the pandemic. Big on Gunter, uh, we think he retains the title. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Omos. So much like WrestleMania 20, this could be Brock Lesnar's end with the company. And they seem big on Omos, who's really starting to get into his own. Um, we think that he might beat Brock quickly. We will watch for that. Hell in a Cell, Edge versus Finn Balor. Uh, Edge wants to meet Finn's demon. If we get the demon Balor, the ring entrance will be long and awesome. Finn goes over on Edge, is our prediction. Undisputed Tag Team Championship, the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Well, who's hotter right now than the Bloodline, Sami Zayn storyline? Um, so we think the beginning of the end for the Bloodline. Best friends again, Sami and Kevin Owens get the win. Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair versus Asuka. Like Drew McIntyre's efforts during the pandemic, Asuka cannot be ignored with her uh, new old kind of persona. We think she upsets Belair. SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. This will begin the rise of the Judgment Day. The faction needs some gold. So Rhea, what do you think, gets the win over Charlotte? Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio. This one's getting, been getting, gaining a lot of heat online. Rey has done everything in his power to keep from fighting his son, but it has to go to WrestleMania. Rey gives his son the whipping he needs. And undisputed uh, WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. Still can't get over the fact that Cody went over back to WWE. So uh, we acknowledge Roman is the tribal chief, uh, but it's the beginning of the end on the bloodline, plus WWE wants that Cody Rhodes storyline. Dusty never won the title but the American Nightmare will. My thank you for producer Jason Mealy for helping me put this together as we uh, look for the biggest show of the year. Uh, we wanted to talk about that, but so much more coming up on the show. As I said at the top of the podcast, please spread the word on the show. We're trying to get the word out there so people can uh, have where to go uh, here in Jacksonville to learn a little more about pro wrestling. And that was our show on Jeff Jarrett. Got a lot more coming up as we go into the spring. So we will see you back here next Wednesday on another episode of Going Ringside with the local station. This has been Going Ringside with the local station. Brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player. On News 4 Jax Plus as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.